Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter number one, uh, the book of Jonah's just kind of been my resting place for the past several Sundays. Uh, if you've had any type of uh, any type of church or religious experience at all, you're probably familiar to a certain degree of Jonah and the big fish, as we learned in our Sunday school classes or had in your Bible story books. I want to turn there once again, Jonah chapter number one. I'm going to read just a few verses of scripture, verses three and four and verse number 17 as well. As you're turning there, and if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen uh, before you to help you out. Um, this in this month on uh, April the 25th, uh, I I just kind of do that do this. But uh, on the 25th, my wife and I is going to be out doing a conference in Michigan. But um, Brother Mason and Mason are going to be taking care of services, and so you know I what I call this. I call this a Mason Sunday. So you're going to have a Mason Sunday on the 25th of April uh, with with Brother Jerry Mason Sunday morning, Brother Alex Mason Sunday night. So you won't want to miss that. I know that will be that'll be beneficial to all of you. Amen. Jonah chapter number one and verse number three. And some of these verses we have read before, but we're trying to connect them together in different ways here along the way. The Bible says, but Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish. This is verse three from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But, verse 4, the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Skipping all the way down to verse number 17, the last verse of that chapter. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Whenever we go through the pages of Jonah from the first chapter to the last chapter, chapter number four, we're going to see that the Lord prepares a great wind. He prepares a great fish. He prepares a gourd and a vine that will grow up. Uh, he prepares an east wind. Uh, he, he, he prepares uh, the sun to come out and scorch the gourd that he had grow. The Lord does all these things. And what these really are is what I wish to talk about today. They are divine interventions for the man Jonah who is fleeing away from the presence of God. They are divine interventions. So I want to talk to you just a little bit today about those divine interventions, amen, in our lives and in the life of Jonah. I'm going to pray today the Lord would help us open our minds and our ears to his word. Father, we need you today. I pray, oh Lord, that you're able to minister, Lord God, through your word. Help it, oh God, I pray, Lord, to enlighten our lives. God, bring us understanding. God, show us, Lord, what you want us to see. God, I pray, oh Lord, today, God, let it be closely knitted to our hearts. God, will not fail to thank you, Lord Jesus, for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. <clears throat> we must realize this morning concerning the story of Jonah that God has went to some great lengths to reach Jonah. 
Jonah has, according to the word, blatantly disobeyed God and ignored God, yet God has went to some great lengths to reach Jonah. I think it's important to understand even this morning concerning our own lives in many ways at times reflects and mirrors the life of Jonah. There are times that we don't always do what the Lord has asked of us to do. It's not that we are always heading in the same direction as he is, but sometimes we leave the path, we leave the direction of the Lord. But even in those moments when we do that, I want you to know today that God goes to great lengths trying to reach you and I. He goes to great lengths with a heart of love and compassion to redirect us and re-steer us in the way that he would have us to go. The Bible says, although Jonah took a path that was uh, different from the Lord's, uh, opposing the Lord's, verse number nine tells us that this God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land was using everything at his disposal to reroute Jonah. And that's the heart of God. God doesn't really want to be separated from humanity. Uh, whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden in the very beginning, uh, it, was, it broke the heart of God to have to place them outside of the garden of Eden. It broke his heart that he had to put an angel there with a sword to keep the way of the garden. Ever since that time, even until now, God has purposely and intentionally tried to reroute the lives of humanity back into a place of good standing with him. And he'll use everything at his disposal. And let me tell you this, there is nothing outside of the reach of the Lord using in order to turn our hearts and our lives back in a way that is toward him. The Bible says that the Lord prepared a great wind that resulted in a storm on the sea that Jonah was upon. Again, it tells us that he prepared a great fish. Later we will see it will be a vine and a worm to eat up the vine and the east wind and all of this is for Jonah's benefit but here's something we must realize everything on the surface doesn't look very beneficial to us at the moment right I'm sure whenever Jonah seen the storm and the fish swallowed him, he wasn't thinking positive thoughts at that particular moment. He probably felt like all the world was pitted against him. But the reality of the fact is those were divine interventions for Jonah and his life to reroute him back to God. They were, in essence, beneficial to him. Didn't appear like that at the moment but they were ultimately beneficial to him. And so we can't curse, per se, every storm that comes in our life because that storm may be an intervention of God, getting us back to a place in harmony with the Lord. I mean, some of these things, think about it. A storm being, being swallowed by a fish? Are you serious? I mean, how am I supposed to look at that in a positive manner? Uh, it may seem very hurtful. Some of those things may seem intimidating. Might be even, we might think maybe God or what's going on is a little bit inconsiderate. Some of those things even mean, may, may be a little menacing to us. Amen. But the fact of the matter, they were divine interventions on Jonah's behalf. Because here is something that we need to give consideration to concerning our God. God is more interested in us being conformed to his image than he is with us being comfortable. 
He's more, he's more interested in us being conformed into his image, his path, and his likeness than us being comfortable. I'm sure that it wasn't very comforting to be on a ship that was being tossed to and fro by a great wind. I'm sure, as we read later in Jonah chapter number 2, it wasn't very comfortable to be in the belly of a fish, right? Uh, with other deteriorating and decaying matter that's in the stomach of a fish. The Bible even describes how Jonah says that there was seaweed wrapped around his head. The waters were coming up uh, to his head. That's not very comfortable. But God wasn't so much interested in Jonah's comfort as he was in his salvation, as he was in him being conformed, amen, to his ways. God didn't, though, notice this, God did not wash his hands of Jonah. When Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord, when Jonah said, you know what, I'm going to do things my own way and I'm just going to go away from the Lord, God didn't wash his hands of Jonah because he was being difficult. He didn't say, Jonah, well, if that's the way you're going to be, then more power to you. Just go on and have it your way. That's not what God did. No, the Bible tells us that he reached out to Jonah in that moment and the moment that Jonah left, God was making preparations to somehow facilitate Jonah's return. And so we have confidence today that whenever we get in our spirits, we're like, you know, I'm, I'm just done with this God thing. Uh, who cares about this God thing? I, I'm just going to turn and go in the opposite direction. I want you to know that God doesn't wash his hands of you. God doesn't turn his head the other direction. But the moment you take steps away, God is trying to find a way to have, for you to make steps back. Amen. And reroute you to where you need to be with him. All of this puts me in mind of Luke chapter number 15. In Luke chapter number 15 is the story of the prodigal son, a man that had two sons, an elder son and a younger son. The younger son decided that he wanted to leave the household of his father, decided he wanted to part ways. Dad, just give to me the inheritance that is mine. I'll go my separate way. I'm ready to leave home. And so all of this concerning Jonah puts me in mind of that prodigal son that left the house of his father. And the Bible says that when his son went out, spent all the goods and all the money on riotous living, fed even as it were, uh, desiring to feed even among the hogs because things had got so bad for him, he had spent everything he had. The Bible says he returned back to the house of his father. And when he returned back to the house of his father, his father had what was called a fatted calf that was killed because his son had returned. But what's interesting about a fatted calf is this. You don't get a fatted calf from just feeding it two days. You don't get a fatted calf. A fatted calf was something that was set aside for a special purpose. That fatted calf was not allowed to roam. It had to be stalled. It had to be fed days upon days. It had a special diet, even perhaps even years before it would get to the place of being fattened. I'll share with you this this morning. This is purely my opinion, but I'm convinced that the day that the younger son left daddy's house, that daddy stalled a calf. What was he doing? He was making preparations for whenever the son would come back home. He says, I'm going to stall this thing because it's not always going to be him leaving he's going to come back and so whenever the son came back he says slay the fatted calf the fatted calf why because he had an intention for that calf what are you saying when the son left the father had already had some plans for his return amen had, had plans for his return. He's preparing in advance for his return. For that matter, you do not see in the scripture, you do not see in Luke 15, we don't see that the father is forcing the son to stay. 
He's not forcing the son to stay. Where the son says, Father, give me everything, my inheritance, everything that's mine. I'm going to get out of here. The father doesn't, doesn't force him or tell him, no, you can't do that. No, the Bible says whenever he asked for those portions of goods that fell to him, the Bible says that the father divided all of his living. Amen. And he gave the portions to them, to the younger son and to the elder son. And so he, he wasn't nailing him down at the father's house. He wasn't doing that. Amen. He was allowing him to to make choices, allowing him to make decisions. No doubt in the heart of the father, he had rather him not do that, right? But he wasn't going to keep him from doing that, but he would make preparations to try to make home look as appealing as home could be. So that whenever things were not looking appealing to the far reaches that the son went, and there was no food there that the son would remember the bread at his father's house. That when he didn't find any comfort out there, that he would remember the comfort of his father's house. Amen. So he, he let him go. And God many times will allow us. I know it may seem strange for us to wrap our minds around, but many times God will let us go with hopes that we'll return. Amen. And he'll prepare as the father did a fatted calf. And the Bible says in Luke 15 concerning that fatted calf, and you can read this story in Luke 15. The Bible says he prepared the fatted calf, but later, whenever the son began to make his way back home and was close enough to be in eyesight, the Bible says that his father, while his son was still a great way, this is the words that the scripture says, while his son was still a great way off, his father saw him. Now, in that, there is a hint to me of this, that although the son was afar off and the father saw him while he was afar off, there's a hint there that tells me that the father must have had a habit of staring off in the distance, just anticipating if just maybe today could be the day that the son was going to come back home. I want somebody to know today that the father's not left the front porch from looking in the distance for your return. Amen. Whenever you leave, he's looking for steps that's going to come back to him. Amen. And he makes divine interventions. Amen. In order to facilitate that. There's things, I, we don't, we're kind of oblivious to it sometimes. But there's things that happen in our everyday lives that on the surface, it looks just like the normalcy of life, right? But what they really are under the surface are divine intersections that the Lord is bringing us to. Why? Because he's trying to bring us back around to him. It looks innocent, amen, and on the surface it is, but it's a purposeful God that's trying to lasso us back into communication and relationship with him. Amen. Additionally, we can read, and this is another story. It's found in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter number 10. It's there if you wish to read it later. But it's a story of a rich man, the Bible says. A rich man that departed or left from Jesus. The Bible says that this man, as he left from the Lord, was grieving as he walked away from the Lord. At first, he had come to Jesus. He wanted to know, and his question was this, what must I do to inherit eternal life and Jesus asked him some questions have you kept the commandments thou shall not steal thou shall not commit adultery all these different things have you kept the commandments and the man of course had kept them from his birth even up until this point of time and he felt like he was doing pretty good and then Jesus said unto him he said there's just one thing that you lack he said go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor but for this purpose for the purpose of following me 
And the Bible says that the man left. He walked away from the Lord because he had many possessions. And here's what I want to point out today. This man had many possessions, but the possessions could have been anything. The possessions could have been some ideas. The possessions could have been some attitudes for this particular story in the gospel. It was possessions. For instance, in our story in the book of Jonah, and this might take some people by surprise, and I'm not by no means trying to be political here. But uh, for instance, Jonah couldn't part with his racial bias to follow the will of God. Had God told him to deliver this message that God wanted him to deliver to Israel, Jonah would have had no problem delivering it to Israel. But he hesitated because God wanted him to go deliver it unto the Ninevites. God wanted him to deliver this message. And from the Old Testament, here's something we must understand, kind of a background, if you will, for Jonah. In the Old Testament, it was prophesied by the Lord that Israel would one day be taken as captives to Assyria. Nineveh was a part of Assyria. And so whatever Jonah's told, go preach to the Ninevites this message that they're going to be destroyed in 40 days if they don't repent, if they don't make things right with God. That kind of gives a little problem to Jonah. Because preaching that they're going to be destroyed wouldn't have been no problem at all. You guys are going down. He would have thought, man, that will take care then of Israel. She won't go into captivity with Assyria if Nineveh goes down. They're a part of Assyria. But the problem with Jonah was this. I know God. I know the ways of God. I know the way that God reacts. He always leaves a path to come back home. God always leaves a path in order to make things right. I know the graciousness of God. And so if I tell them that destruction, doom, and despair is coming upon them, I know it's possible that they might respond in a favorable way toward God and then turn to repentance and Nineveh will be turned around. And so he's thinking in himself, if the Ninevites are spared, then according to the prophecy, we're going to be doomed because the Lord said that Assyria, which Nineveh was a part of, is going to be destroyed or you're going to take rather Israel one of these days so I don't want anything of that taking place all right I don't want to talk to somebody that's not an Israelite and for them to have any grace and for them to have any hope here is the irony of our Lord this morning so Jonah's running away from talking to a non-Israelite he's running away from somebody like that having hope and he gets on a ship with a bunch of non-Israelites <laughs> and before it's all said and done, not wanting to have a positive impact on somebody that's not like him, on the ship, he has a positive impact on somebody that's not like him. Amen. Because these are a bunch of sellers. They're non-Israelites. But before it's all said and done, they started praying to their own G-O-D-S, their own gods. But by the end of the story, they're praying to the God of heaven. Amen. They're making sacrifices to him. They're making vows to him. All because of what Jonah had to say, but was trying not to help anybody of another race, ethnic group, or creed. He ended up doing what he was trying to run away from doing, all because the Lord created a scenario 
He created a scenario. God orchestrated a divine intersection, an intervention for Jonah. Amen. So Jonah, he has, listen, he has a very strong ethnic bias. It was very strong because whenever the sailors, you can read this in chapter one, when the sailors cast lots and it ends up being Jonah. Jonah's the one the storm is upon us. And as we looked at weeks back, but there's all kinds of questions. They start they start peppering Jonah with. They start asking who he was and what country he was from and what his occupation was. And when they do all of this, the first response that Jonah, this just kind of shows his ethnic bias. The first response that Jonah gives to them and he leads with is this, I am a Hebrew. They asked about five or six different questions. And the first thing that he leads with is I am a Hebrew. And then he begins to talk about God. Because in Jonah's mind, his ethnicity trumped his Christianity. Well, this ain't popular, but it's, it's biblical. Amen. His ethnicity in his mind trumped his Christianity. Let me state it like this. Who he was superseded whose he was. You hear a mouse chewing on a piece of ice right now. Amen. But he had it backwards. What he needed to lead with was whose he was. What he needed to underscore was his God. Because Israelite, non-Israelite didn't matter. Jew, Gentile, barbarian didn't matter. What mattered was his God. Even still yet today, folks, it really don't matter. Black, right, white, Asian, Caucasian, all of these things, it don't matter. What we need to lead with, not that I'm white, not that I'm black, not that I'm Chinese, not that I'm Japanese, but we need to underscore God. Amen. We need to underscore God whose we are because who I am white isn't going to do nothing concerning their salvation. If you're black, that's not going to do anything concerning salvation and rerouting us back home. What we need to underscore is who he is, right? And whose we are. We belong unto the Lord. Amen. And so Jonah's cast overboard into the storm. He's swallowed by a great fish. And if we look at all these things, again, we might be reading, this is, this is horrible. Storm, great fish, these are a bunch of negative circumstances. And we're thinking, you know, a lot of this comes upon Jonah because of the disobedience in his life. Amen. We look at this and we're looking at the, the storm and we're looking at the fish. Jonah, this is, this is judgment coming upon you. But listen, that's the way our natural eyes will see it. But in reality, Sister Margaret, the storm and the fish and these other things that come about in Jonah's life, in essence, really are not judgments against Jonah, but they are grace for Jonah. Because look, the storm didn't wreck them. Being thrown overboard did not result in a forever loss of life for Jonah. The fish that swallowed him at least swallowed him rather than eating him in pieces. It could have been a whole lot worse, Brother Terry, than what it actually is. The, the storm that God sent to Jonah initiated an interaction between Jonah and the sailors. At first, look, here's Jonah. 
Here's some of his bias. He gets on the ship with a bunch of non-Israelites. I'm trying to flee all that type of stuff. He goes down into the lower parts of the ship, avoiding everyone, avoiding the sailors, the non-Israelites, and he goes into a very deep, settling sleep, the Bible says. But at last, before it's all said and done, he's telling these same non-Israelites what they must do to save themselves in the peril of this storm. And so he avoided going to Nineveh and ends up doing for for non-Israelites on the ship in the sea what he wouldn't go to Nineveh and do. But perhaps the storm, look at this now, was more of an intervention than it was a judgment. Oh, this is judgment upon Jonah because he disobeyed. No, it is an intervention because I ask you this, how many times have we labeled God's interventions in our lives as judgments against us? I dare to say more than what we really realize. We might have this concept of, oh, here it goes, God. He's just judging me again. He's being hard on me because I disobeyed or I walked contrary to the way with God's just judging me again. You know what? Maybe what your perspective and perception is as judgment is really God saving you. Maybe he's rerouting you. Maybe he's showing you grace so that you might show grace to everybody else and anyone else that's in your life. See, Jonah had this cultural bias even as the rich man in Mark number 10 had his possessions. Again, that could have been anything. Possessions, ideas, attitudes for Jonah. It was his racial bias. But Jesus, whenever he spoke back to the man with all of the possessions in Mark 10, Jesus wanted to know basically this as you read it. Will you part with these things in order to join with me? That's really what it was about. It could have been possessions. It could have been racial bias. It could have been an attitude. It could have been an idea. All Jesus really wanted to know is, are you willing to part with that in order to join and walk with me? Because he asked the man. He said, well, go sell all that you have, give it to the boar. Why? So that you can take up your cross. And what? Follow me. Because Jesus knew it's going to be burdensome for you to try to follow me with all these possessions. So will you lay that down for the purpose of taking up something else, taking up a cross and following me? Would you trade your possessions for a cross and the Christ? Jonah, will you, will you trade your bias for a cross and the Christ? And so the same man, you can look at it in Mark 10 and verse number 17. The same man, when he first approached the Lord, this is the way that he approached the Lord. The Bible describes that he ran to Jesus and kneeled down. He ran to Jesus. And the man that ran to Jesus after his discussion with Jesus is now walking away from Jesus. Most translations will describe after this man had begun to leave Jesus, most translations will describe Jesus as looking around about and then start talking to his disciples. But the Living Bible translated like this, that when the man walked away from Jesus, Jesus watched him go. I like that. Jesus watched him go. The man had come running and kneeling to Jesus before him. But now that same man went away grieved and Jesus watched him go. That's not to be a negative statement. That's not to be a negative statement at all. But that's just, if you will, our God allowing us, if we want to, to walk away. 
Amen. But that does not say that his heart is not heavy as we go in the opposite direction. He's not going to make anybody serve him. He's not going to make anybody take up the cross or make anybody follow him. That's not the Lord. He allows you to have your human will, but it doesn't mean that he won't stand there and watch you walk away. Hallelujah. We don't see that God ever prohibited Jonah from leaving his home and going down to Joppa and getting on a ship. We don't see that God ever prohibited him from trying to escape the presence of the Lord. But while he didn't prohibit him from going, neither did God delay in appointing means to enable his return. He might watch you go, but he's already making some plans and interventions and intersections that might sway your mindset to come back. Someone say amen. He's not insensitive. He's not insensitive this morning, amen, to our needs and what we have going on in our life. If the Lord watches us go, amen, he is looking at us and really wanting us to return, amen. When he watches us go, that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. He's really loving us more than we realize. Huh. He's watching us go because he's honoring that free will. And he might even watch us go through some hardships and go through some trials. And he might watch us endure some storms and being swallowed by some fish. Woo! But in it all, it's not really his judgment coming upon you. It's his grace he's trying to extend to you. It's his second, third, and fourth second chance that he's trying to bring unto you. I mean, concerning the rich man, here's what Jesus, Jesus challenged him to, to love following me, I want you to love following me more than anything else in your life. That's what it really came down to. I want you to love following me more than anything else in your life. Positions, ideas, possessions, attitudes. The Bible says in Mark 10 and verse 21, we'll have it on the screen for you. The Bible says, after, after the rich man had told him how he kept all those commands from even a youth up and had done all these things and... Jesus then, Mark 10, verse 21, then Jesus, look at this, beholding him, loved him. Oh, that is a grand little phrase right there. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. He was about ready to tell him about the one thing that he lacked. Can you, can you just disembrace from that and totally embrace me? Jesus, beholding him, loved him. So a few verses later, Jesus will watch him go. He would watch him walk away, but only after he had looked at him, having loved him. Pulling it down like this, Jesus even loves us when we walk away. And know this this morning, that as we walk away, we're walking away from someone who has beheld us with love in their eyes. Don't think a moment that as you walk away that he's not preparing some intervention for you to come back around home. John Butler said it like this. He said, he said, the rod of God is not intended to be just penal, which means it's not just to be judgment, but to be corrective. Because before we, before we mention how horrid it must have been to be swallowed by a great fish. And I don't know the last time you went fishing and you happened to open up a fish and hit the intestines and bowels and all. It's not just nice, folks. <clears throat> but Jonah swallowed. 
Three days and three nights, the scripture says, he spent there. And then look at the first few verses of Jonah chapter number two. So he's been swallowed by this great fish. This, this is just horrible. But verse number one of chapter two says, then, this is after being swallowed. He's three days and three nights in this fish. Then, everybody say then. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God. Out of where? The fish's belly. And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly. Now, Jonah's relating to where he is right now, the circumstance he's going. He's relating this to, to hell, and it's not the eternal hell, but hell is the place where uh, the, the, the souls of those that have departed and died are, all right? This is the actual word in Scripture for this particular place. But he says, I cried, I cried from, from hell, the belly of hell, I cried. I, and thou heardest my voice, verse 3, for thou hast cast me. He's talking to God here now. He's praying, remember. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas and the floods come passing me about all thy billows and thy waves have passed over me then i said i cast out i am cast out of thy sight yet i will look again toward thy holy temple now again folks being swallowed by a great fish and ate by a great fish are vastly different i'm just saying in reality vastly different and being swallowed, you know, we tell, we get on to our kids when they're young, don't swallow that hole, right? Huh? Don't swallow that hole. Chew that up. Well, there's a difference in chewing up and being swallowed. But Jonah was swallowed. And then he was swallowed by this intervention that God brought in his life, the fish. And then the scripture says he prayed to the Lord from there. From what he was swallowed by. What is that? That's the intervention of the Lord. He could have been ate up. Right? But the Lord caused the fish to swallow him. That's grace. That's God not wanting any person to perish. But all to come to repentance. That's grace. And so while he's in the belly of probably not the most uh, uh, smell-worthy, you know, stomach or intestine of a fish, Jonah begins to pray unto the Lord. And so God prepared the fish to swallow Jonah. You know why? Because God knew Jonah needed a prayer room. Something that was shut out from society, something that was shut out from the influences of any other person, God made Jonah a prayer room where the only other person there was to talk to in that place was him. I tell you what, hallelujah, the fish may have looked intimidating, it may have looked like on the downward spiral, but God created a prayer room from which Jonah could cry unto the Lord. He couldn't talk to his wife, couldn't talk to his kids, couldn't talk to another prophet. Only choice he had was to talk to God. I said earlier in this service this morning, sometimes God subtracts things into our life until the only thing that is left is him. Folks, you know what that is? It may look horrible in the moment, but that's really the grace of God because that's where the attention needs to be. I look to the hills from which cometh my help, the psalmist said. My help cometh from the Lord. Honey, until you get to the place, there's no other way or no other place you can look to, then you don't know the reality of the help being the Lord. Amen. It's a divine intervention. Jonah needs a prayer room. So God says, and listen, let me say this on the other side. Folks, it's good to learn the lesson before God makes you a prayer room. Uh-huh. 
Sometimes people's prayer rooms have been the white walls of a hospital for extended stays. It's, you know, sometimes it's good to just go and take the initiative. <laughs> that this intervention doesn't have to happen in our life. So, here's the thing now. <laughs> Jonah originally wants to escape from God. Don't want to talk to God. That's all right. God, no doubt, saying in the back of his mind. I'll just position things, his surroundings, where there's nobody else to talk to except me. If he wants to avoid me, I'll make it where I'm unavoidable. <laughs> so he can make a prayer room out of fish's belly. Isn't that just like God? Here's the fact. In all this, God's not infuriated. God's not angry and mad and upset. You know what God is doing concerning Jonah? God is being intentional about Jonah's future. He's being intentional about Jonah's path. He's trying to reach Jonah at all costs, even if he has to make a prayer room out of a fish's belly. Here, though, note what the scripture says in verse number two. Jonah starts his prayer meeting with God, as many of us do. Sometimes we start in the wrong attitude, the wrong way, and by the time we're finished, everything's okay. Sometimes we just like, God, you got to hear us out. And so Jonah starts off his little prayer meeting, and he's calling all this intervention of God the interference of God. And he says, God, I'm calling to you concerning the reason of mine affliction. Huh? This storm, mine affliction. This fish, mine affliction. So he's crying out to God about his affliction and calling it his. He's almost attesting to the fact that he had something to do with it with his disobedience. Right? You, you, you cast me into the sea. He even tells God that in verse number three. You cast me into the deep. He talks about God, how your billows and your, your waves passed over me. All of these belong to the you. Thou, 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 thee, all of this. God, this is all because of you. It, it's, it's God's doings and it's my affliction. It's God's doings and this is my interference. And so in a roundabout way, again, Jonah's connecting all of his disobedience, amen, with God's present actions in his life. Rather than seeing all this as God's affliction, or God's really affection, I should say, he's seeing it as his affliction. J.R. Thomas said like this, he said, trouble's not designed to lead God's people to cry against the Lord, but it's used to have us cry unto the Lord. In a masterful way, folks, God is setting up a change of mind for us in the life of Jonah, which in Scripture, a change of mind is the definition of repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. That, of course, eventually affects a change of behavior. So he's setting up for us a change of mind because at first, the Bible tells us in verse 4, that Jonah is concerned about being cast into the deep. Then I believe it is verse number four. He has a heavier concern upon his heart and mind. He thinks about, I'm being cast out of the Lord's sight. You can see that in verse number four. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you're concerned about being cast into the deep. And now you're telling me you're concerned about being cast out of God's sight. Did you not in the beginning of Jonah chapter number one want to get out of God's sight anyway? Were you not wanting to flee from his presence anyway in the beginning of this chapter? But now it's a concern of yours that you might be cast out of his sight. What's going on with Jonah? Jonah's having a change of mind. Jonah's having a change of mind. I want to get away from the presence of the Lord. I want to leave the presence of the Lord. And now he's concerned that he might be 
out of the presence of the Lord. He wanted to leave home, flee from the presence, and now he's thinking, I'm in this fish, and I'm in the sea, and I just might be cast out of the sight of God. You know what's going on? He's having a change of mind. Maybe I don't want to be from his presence. Maybe I don't want to flee from the glory of the Lord as much as I pretended that I wanted to in the very beginning. And this is what the Bible says in verse 2. Jonah begins to relate this fish's belly that he's in to hell. Amen. He's relating this to this place where those that are already dead and gone go awaiting, if you will, judgment. Amen. I'm, I'm in this fish's belly. It's almost as though I'm in hell. But I come to you again this morning. Amen. That in reality, there's nowhere you can go to escape the presence of God. There's nowhere you can go to flee the presence of God. Whether I make my bed in heaven or thou art there or whether I make my bed in hell. Same word. Thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me. He says, you know my uprising and my downsetting and my thought afar off. You're acquainted with all of my ways. There's not a word in my mouth, but Lord, Lord, thou knowest it all together. There's not a place that you can go to escape God. You can run as far as you want to, get into the dregs of sin as deep as you want to, but you cannot escape him. He'll make divine interventions even at the bottom of a sea or in the belly of a whale in order to redirect your steps back home. He will. He will. God's speaking. He's listening to Jonah, but he's also ministering to Jonah. Jonah speaks now in the belly of a whale. Look at this. Clarity comes to him in the fish's belly. Comes to him in the fish's belly with a moment of clarity about what God is up to. Because we read verse number six. I won't hold you much longer. We read verse number six. Jonah says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, right? Because the mountains, uh, the base of them can even extend down into the oceans and the waters. He said, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought me up from life, up, up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Now look at this. And I, stand with me, I'll come too close. Jonah, he says, I went down to the bottoms and the base of the mountains. That's been Jonah's trajectory from the moment he left the presence of the Lord. You can review back through Jonah chapter number one. Jonah left home and the, the wording is he went down to Joppa. The Bible says when he got to the edge of the Mediterranean Sea and found the ship that Jonah went down into the ship. The Bible speaks then later that Jonah went down into the sides of the ship. Amen. The Bible describes Jonah's going down into the deep. And now Jonah here amidst himself. I went down again. It's been a constant downward spiral for Jonah. I down, down, and it's Jonah doing all this. I'm going down. I went down to the bottoms of the mountain. See, he's kind of shifting a little bit because it was before, Lord, you cast me into the deep. Lord, these are your billows. These are now, he's taking a little bit of ownership. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. <laughs> and now a moment of clarity comes to Jonah. Jonah understands. I've made some choices. Jonah understands I'm taking some ownership on some decisions that I have made. I have went down. But notice what the second half of verse 6 reveals, this clarity that Jonah has. I may have went down. 
He says, yet hast thou. He's speaking to God. He said, yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. Clarity comes to Jonah. He said, I got me into this mess. He says, but I see your handiwork that you're trying to bring me up out of this mess. I went down, but you're trying to bring me up. I left, but you're trying to compel me to come home. Hallelujah. I've been cast into the sea, but you've provided a prayer room whereby I can talk to you. And you're trying to deliver my soul, my life from corruption. He's really speaking about ultimate death there. The Bible speaks concerning David and Jesus Christ being very similar in the likeness of David and in the line of David. That Christ so never saw corruption. He died, but there was never the deterioration of the body as happens after death. There was never uh, the bloating and the worms and things that come in to eat up the body. You know what Jonah's saying? He's saying, Lord, I went down. And this feels like hell. It feels like death. It feels like I'm in the place of the departed. He says, but you're trying to raise me up and save my life. In other words, you don't want me to remain in this state. You're trying to keep me from corruption. You are raising me up. Jonah wayward journey Jonah downward downward journey but God raised him up and what he had truly mistaken in the point and position where he was in life you know because let's just get honest there's times our perspective of the Lord isn't always the same because of where we are where we are literally location or where we are positionally with the Lord we have different opinions of him based upon where we are in life. Whether he's necessary, whether he's not necessary. Whether he's loving or we think he's judging. All these things. But Jonah came to a clarity because what, what he thought was really his affliction. He came to understand that that was really God's salvation. Whether it be the storm. Whether it be the fish. Because he finally come to terms that when he had no sooner left God, that God was very purposeful and intentional on making ways through wind and fish, trying to get Jonah to that great city of Nineveh to deliver a great message that he had heard from a great God. If we bow our heads in this place this morning, I want to urge you, tell you, convince you today that your storm, I know on the surface what it looks like to you, but your storm isn't judgment. I want, to, I want to urge you today and hopefully convince you that your fish, your fish that has swallowed you, that's not really, that's not really your affliction. All of these things that we look at, eye of betrayal with a little suspicion let me tell you something underneath it all they are really the divine interventions of God he's coaxing you he's wooing you it don't feel like it at times but he's coaxing and wooing and he is he's trying to be very wise in how he handles you because ultimately he just wants you to be able to let go of these other things and choose a cross and the Christ and follow him.
Some of us this morning can stand here and we can look over our shoulder. Somebody may be even asking themselves today, how did I get here right now this morning? How did I get here in this place? And on the surface we say, well, it was this or it was that, or, you know, I made a choice, so on and so forth. But underneath the currents of life, there is a God at work that's always been trying to close the gap between you and Him. Always trying to close the gap between you and Him. Because He loves you enough to allow you to walk away. But He also loves you enough to keep His eye upon you wherever you may stray. With hopes that He could convince, compel you to return back to the Father's house and sit at the Father's table and be a recipient of the Father's love. Hallelujah. These Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.